Happy New Year. Oh, Happy Chinese New Year. Gong Hei Fa Choi. San Lin Fai Lok. Boom. <laughs> Boom. I can speak Cantonese, sort of. Good. I can speak those two phrases, at least. <laughs> Say something Cantonese, Ting. Seeing as you can actually speak Cantonese. Bye-bye. <laughs> so lame. Come on, that's proper Cantonese there. That's proper Hong Kong Cantonese. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Weak sauce. <laughs> so lame. So? It's the year of the pig. And what are you going to do to celebrate the year of the pig? Eat a pig. No, um... It's go aggressive. <laughs> go skiing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just leave Hong Kong. I'm going to be like, see ya, I'm going somewhere else. I think my family are always slightly miffed because they always invite me back to Malaysia for Chinese New Year and I'm always doing something else. And they're always just like, dude, Chinese New Year is a time for family. And I'm like, sorry, I was raised in the West. I think Christmas is a time for family and Chinese New Year is a three-day public holiday and I'm going to go on holiday. But it's not just any holiday. You've been asked to buy certain items. You mean it's just turning out that... You may not come back. <laughs> Let's be clear. In one piece. You'll come back. Yeah, some people from work were like, do you want to go skiing? Let's go skiing. And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds really fun. Let's go skiing. Because I don't know any other people who ski in Hong Kong. And you need to leave the country for three days. <laughs> It's more that I feel like it's kind of dangerous going skiing on your own because you might just like ski off a cliff and nobody would notice. So, you know, you well, kind let's, of... let's see it happen with people you know <laughs> and no one still notice. Well, that's the thing because I think these people are way more extreme than I'm used to. Like, I've been skiing before, but I just like ski down the slope. But these guys are like, oh, yeah. I'm going to get a helicopter in. <laughs> I'm actually starting to wonder because they said, Oh, make sure you buy an avalanche transceiver and an ABS bag. And I was like, a what? And he's like, you know, the airbag that inflates if you get caught in an avalanche. And I was like, why would I get caught in an avalanche? He's like, oh, we're going off piste. We're going to go powder skiing. And I was like, uh? <laughs> I've never done this before. If this is the last episode of the podcast, you know why. Good. To be honest, if you're hearing this, then I made it back safely because <laughs> I'm probably not going to edit this while on holiday. We'll see. <laughs> But enough about my holidays. It's the year of the pig. What does the year of the pig mean to you? Oh, unfortunately, it means I turn an age, which is multiple of 12. <laughs> That's not very cryptic at all. <laughs> I'm 24. <laughs> <laughs> You're a pig. You're a filthy, disgusting pig. I mean, the sad thing about the year of the pig is it's not the far superior year of the dog. <laughs> which may possibly be the year I'm a multiple of 12 in. Sorry, yes. So what's your point about Year of the Pig? I don't know. Do you know what's funny? Peppa Pig has taken China by storm. Hong Kong has a really famous cartoon mascot called McDull, who is a pig. So I thought when it was the Year of the Pig, there would just be McDull everywhere. But no, it's just Peppa freaking Pig. She's inescapable. Do you know there's a Peppa Pig theme park? What? In Southampton? What? I'm hearing about this in Hong Kong and not in the UK from people who live in Hong Kong. Has science gone too far? No, seriously, what? Well, there you go, Peppa Pig. MS ongoing anywhere. Isn't that Percy Pig? Oh, shit. Percy <laughs> Pig. Good. 
some things I want to get wrong in life. You have a young daughter. I think you won't be escaping Peppa Pig anytime soon. See, I'm I'm too close to China. I'm buying like Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me Sir Michael. Hello. And myself, Timothy. We're a book club for games, but not today. Today, we are going to talk about Chinese New Year's resolutions. <laughs> is that a thing? It is now. Global Game Jam 2019. Indie games and some rapid fire. <laughs> so Mike, what makes Chinese New Year resolutions any different from New Year resolutions? So, I've possibly just invented this, but we didn't make any New Year's resolutions because I think we were just kind of unprepared, but we kind of get an extra chance a month later because we're in Hong Kong. So, Chinese New Year's resolutions. Let's go back one step. Are you a a maker of resolutions in general? No. So the likelihood of us sticking to these is zero. Well, I don't usually make them cuz I know I'm not going to stick to them, but I'm going to try making some. Let's see if it works. Chinese ones are the ones you stick to. The Chinese ones are the ones I stick. <laughs> the Chinese ones are the ones where people give me money to stick to them. Is that right? You owe me some. If you want to phrase it like that, yeah, but I have to pay, give you some anyway, I think. I have no choice. Seeing as you are married and I'm not. And good luck to all. Is is that how it works? Yeah. Okay. So will you share? So last year, you kind of made me think when you asked me if I thought about how I played games and whether I had, you know, a short game and a long game and a multiplayer game or whatever. And I said, no, I don't. But then over the Christmas break, it made me think, maybe I should. <laughs> Since I think I'm too precious about playing games like... I don't want to start a game unless I think I'm going to finish it or I feel like oh I've only got 20 minutes to play I'll just watch a YouTube video instead and then I just watched like 10 20 minute YouTube videos back to back so it turns out I did have time to play so I'm resolving to be less precious about the whole thing and just play more stuff just don't worry about it just play the game you know you think if you've only got 10 minutes doesn't matter just play for 10 minutes Let's see if this actually works in practice. I'm going to try and have well, I guess my multiplayer game is still PUBG and then also a long game on the go which is probably RDR2 and then just a load of indie games and whatever. Play more shorter games, play more of my backlog, play more indie games in particular. That's crazy because you've gone from someone who operates with a 2-hour time bucket to a 10-minute time bucket slot. Let's go with slot. That's quite dramatic. Well, it may not actually work out this way, but this is what I'm going to try and do. Did you ever watch about a boy? No. All I know is that he kills a duck with a loaf of bread. Is that right? But that's not f- you don't focus on that. <laughs> okay. But this is a guy who operates I think oh, I've forgotten now. I think he operates in 15 minute time slots and that's how he divides up his time because he's 
It doesn't have to work. He's just living off the royalties of a song his dad wrote. That sounds amazing. Let's do that. <laughs> you write the song and I'll live <laughs> off the royalties. And I have to adopt you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're already married, so... Okay. Anyway, that reference makes no sense to you then. I'm afraid not. <laughs> living off, you know, living in half an hour or 15 minute time slots. I don't think I really think about time slots like that, though. I think you do. You know I do. I think the whole world knows I do. But I just have some sense of I have more than an hour or less than an hour. And I just don't plan my time very well. I'm just kind of wanton and reckless. And it kind of just seems to work out in the end. Except it probably doesn't. You're probably enjoying it more than me. Hmm. Who knows? I'll check with you in 40 years time. In 40 years' time? Do you think you're going to last that long? Well, then it didn't work out for you then. (laughs) (laughs) Or me. Or me. Let's be clear. Do you have any particular resolutions? I said we should try to discuss more classic games. I think the key word here is discuss rather than play. Are you going to play any of these games? There's a reason why I didn't mention that. Because it's a maybe. Not. But I feel you have many more stories in that cupboard of yours. I don't know, maybe you can talk about the Amiga a bit. I never had one. I don't think you missed out. But Dynamite Ducks? I don't know what Dynamite Ducks is. Oh, maybe it wasn't that good. I did did, did mention a couple of things. I'm going to try and maintain a focus on the backlog. And not... Here's something you told me many years ago, was treat my games as a library rather than... A to-do list. A to-do list. And if I finish them, I finish them. If I don't, I don't. But at least I have a goal, and a goal doesn't have to be something that's certain. I think that's much better, much healthier. And one last thing is, I like the book club. I like playing games I don't normally play. So, XCOM next, is (laughs) it? If if you must, yeah. It's fine. I think we're still going through the platform genre. Game dev? Go on. We're both resolving to do... I was going to say more game dev, but more than zero is is definitely more. Some game dev? Yes. I don't know. You, you, seem, you seem to be a fan of deadlines. You are a crazy person. I think that... I tend not to do anything unless there is a looming deadline. It's probably a character flaw, but there you go. I suggested that the way that we would get more game dev done is if we made it a contest and that every two months, instead of a book club game, we instead had a competition where we would each make a game and everyone have to judge whose was better. But you hard vetoed this idea. And then... There, there was a forfeit as well for losing, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, now that I think about it a little bit more, I think you're probably right to veto that idea. I think that is a crazy idea, but probably would do something if we did it. Nevertheless, I think that would be madness. So instead, we're just still nebulously committing to do game dev, make some stuff, talk about it a bit if we have anything interesting to talk about. Maybe collaborate together, maybe collaborate with some other people, maybe instead of there being a winner and a loser and me crushing you into the dust, 
we'll instead have, you know, a nice, happy, flowers, touchy-feely, let's all win together kind of game. It's probably better that way. Probably. Definitely. Talking of game dev. Global Game Jam 2019. Why didn't you come this year? I was sick. You were sick. You were sick of my company. <laughs> A few people did ask, oh, where's Ting this year? Did he not have fun last year? And I was like, do you not remember what happened last year? And they're like, oh, yeah. And I was like, no, really? He's just, he's just unwell. What do you think? <laughs> it wasn't really like that. So you didn't make it this year, unfortunately. No. A lot of people didn't make it this year, actually. Maybe a lot of people were put off by last year. Last year, we definitely had like too much of everything. We had too many people in the team. We had too many ideas. We tried to do too much. And we ended up with just this big pile of jank. I mean, I actually still thought it was quite fun, the experience of it. But I don't think the game we produced was fun to play. It was the epitome of design by committee and it was less than the sum of its parts. I've never heard you be so diplomatic. <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that. So what was the theme this year? So this year, the theme was what home means to you. And... We had a slightly different team this year as well. So there were four of us from the retro game meetup. One guy who usually comes but couldn't make it last year came again this year. And then a few people who have come in previous years couldn't make it. So there were four of us. And then we also had two completely new people who we met at the jam. So one of them reached out over... Twitter, and then another WhatsApp group to say, hey, I'm a dev, I'm coming to Global Game Jam to do pixel art. Is anybody else going? And the only person who responded was Johnson, who runs a retro gaming meetup. So she joined our team. And then there was another guy who we literally just met there. So before they announced the theme, they actually have dinner for all the participants. And so just in the dinner queue we just randomly were chatting to this guy and he was there on his own it was the first year so he just decided to join us as well and it was really lucky we got these two people because they were both amazing artists like the rest of us have very limited artistic capability but these two people both wanted to do art so it was perfect so suddenly there were six of us two artists two devs and two people who traditionally have always done the trailer so we had basically perfectly two teams of three but to begin with we were all just one team of six and we were brainstorming 
on earth should we do about this theme? Because the other years we've gone, the theme has just been one word. And when the theme is one word, it really gives you, you know, a lot of leeway for interpretation. But this one, I don't know, it felt like they were deliberately trying to lead you somewhere. You know, it's a phrase, what home means to you. And the keynote video that introduced the theme was all people from different countries talking about what home means to them, mostly in terms of, you know, their family or their relationships or, you know, a place of safety or something. And none of them spoke in English. So every single speaker in the theme introduction video was speaking in a language other than English. So the Friday evening after the announcement of the theme was mostly brainstorming. And we had loads and loads and loads and loads of ideas as usual. So one idea that was pitched very early on by Johnson, in fact, I think probably the first idea he pitched was like a snow globe. So he said, imagine a house in a snow globe and you're shaking the snow globe and like the stuff is just bouncing around. You've got to get into the right place, like a kind of puzzle game. So that was his first pitch, like a snow globe house. And then we had a lot of variations on that. So the idea of like tilting it or like pushing it and the furniture sliding like it's on ice. So you have to slide the furniture into the right place. So that was another variation of that idea. We were looking at kind of phrases that had the word, you know, home in, and there was like, home is where the heart is. So then we had a whole rabbit hole we went down about things involving a heart. And I brought up the fact that I had actually written software to measure your heart rate from a Bluetooth heart rate sensor because I wear it when I'm streaming PUBG. And I said, oh, we could try and make a game that's controlled by your heart rate. So we went and thought about a whole bunch of ideas that could possibly use a heart rate sensor. So we're talking about, you know, maybe like a flappy bird thing, but the heart rate <laughs> controls your height. I was thinking this is going to be a nightmare. Or another one where you have to try and like run to a spot and the speed you run at is controlled by your heart rate. So you want to like get your heart rate up to like run quickly to the end, but then you have to slow your heart rate down to try and like land in the target. That's quite clever. Yeah. And then we thought, also, like, what kind of things, like, run around, like, crazily? And then the mascot for this year's Global Game Jam in Hong Kong was a dog because they always hold Global Game Jam just before Chinese New Year, or at least it's always worked out that way, which means it's the previous year's Chinese Zodiac animal, effectively. So it was still the year of the dog. And so we had many ideas that revolved around, you know, the dog or doge. And, you know, we talked about what if it's the dog running around and it gets more excitable and it's like as your heart rate goes up and it's running in circles and if your heart rate goes too high, it just wets itself and that's the end of the game. You know, like dumb ideas like that. And then a succession of physics puzzle games. I suggested one kind of like wet tricks, if you've ever seen that, where blocks are falling down onto a 3D plane and you have to build a house and then there's like natural disasters and can your house withstand them? Or a 2D version where it's kind of like tricky towers and you have to build like a house and people are walking around inside it. There was also another massive tangent we went on about card games or board games. So we said, we don't have to make a computer game, we could make a card game. And we talked a lot about potentially making a card game where it's kind of like Uno, crossed with dominoes. You have to like force people to pick up more rooms into their hand and the first person to use up all the rooms and build a house wins but you can only put down rooms that match like the door or the color of the room or something and 
So we had a whole idea about that. What is interesting is actually that some of these mechanics, other people obviously thought of them too. So in the showcase at the end of the jam, we actually saw games where you had to put down rooms and like link them up so certain people could see other people and certain people wouldn't bump into other people in a crazy house you're building. So someone actually did make an electronic version kind of of that game, which is quite interesting. And then the last idea, going back to the Doge idea, the dog, was to make a kind of messed up subversive RPG. So the idea was it looks really cutesy. You're this happy dog and you're in a house and you have to explore the house, but the house is really messed up or like everything kills you. So it's like, you know, your doge, wow, such fun. And then you find a burrito and you eat the burrito and the burrito just kills you because it's poisoned. Or you go into the room and the room's just like full of blood or something. It's like everything's just like really wrong. It looks really cute, but it's really messed up. So that was the other idea. And then we had a whole round of voting about what idea we should make, uh, like secret votes, and then votes about whether we should stay as one team and like all agree on one idea or split into two teams. And because we tried to learn from our mistakes from last year, where we had this massive team of nine people and it was a complete disaster, we decided to split into two teams. Of? Well, as I said, we coincidentally actually had the right skill set to make two teams. We had two programmers, two artists, and two trailer makers. Well, I mean, obviously the trailer makers can do other stuff too, but they had experience making the trailers in previous years as well. And then we voted on which game we wanted to make. And extremely coincidentally, and very luckily, we were split perfectly down the middle. So the three ideas that made the shortlist were the Slidey or Snow Globe House puzzle game, the dog RPG and the card game. And then we had a vote to see which ideas we preferred and the card game was eliminated from that. So then we had the two ideas and then we all voted for what we wanted to make. And very luckily, yeah, it split perfectly down the middle. So I wanted to make the house slightly shaky puzzle game. The other programmer wanted to make the RPG. And then again, one artist wanted to make the puzzle game. One artist wanted to make the RPG and one trailer guy wanted to make the puzzle game, and one trailer guy wanted to make the RPG. So it was perfect. And we had Team Doge on the RPG, and Team Slide Boys on (laughs) the puzzle game, which came about because the guy who we met at the jam, who was an artist, was like, yeah, Team Slide Boys! And he just held up his hands for like high fives, and we both just instinctively high-fived him, and that was it. I'll let that name slide. (laughs) And so... That was the Friday night. We spent like three hours discussing the idea and voting on it, but it was amicable and much less passive aggressive than last year. And everyone was kind of happy with the outcome. Was your nemesis present? My nemesis? I wouldn't go so far as to say nemesis, but no, he was not present. Good. Just to be clear... There's nothing wrong with the guy who's referred to as my nemesis. Yeah, but for the purposes of the podcast, he is your nemesis. For the purposes of the podcast, he's my enemy, he's my rival. Yeah. Well, we always just seem to have opposing ideas. And for some reason, we never agreed to split into two teams. (laughs) And then it was always just really awkward because we always had ideas that just didn't mesh well. And 
one of us was always going to be disappointed, right? So this time, we agreed to split. And we all got to make the game we wanted to make. And, and again, just to be clear, the slidey puzzle game was not my idea for the game, but I was totally on board with making it. So then the next morning, Team Slide Boys, just to name the members of the team, to keep it simple, so there was Johnson, who runs the Retro Meetup, and it was his idea originally for the Snow Globe shaky puzzle game. And the other guy, who is an artist and also a game maker programmer, Max, and I think it was his idea to do the sliding kind of turn-based variation of it. So we started prototyping in the morning. I was using Unity and trying to make the Snow Globe physics version, and he was using GameMaker and trying to make a quick prototype of the sliding version. And we each managed to get something running pretty quickly and then tried them out and decided that the physics version was actually just much more fun. The slidey version, as a puzzle game, it had quite a few limitations. Like There were plenty of situations you could get into that were quite awkward and it wasn't that fun to play. Whereas the physics one was just the embodiment of jank, but in a good way. Like, if you think of the madness of, say, like, Katamari Damashi, it was kind of like that. It was just, like, chaos. Things, like, flying everywhere. Things clipping through the floor. But just, like, you know, you you could see that there was something there. And so we went with that. And so, given that was the direction we went in, I was then the full-time programmer. And the other two started trying to make artwork. And we actually discovered a program called Magica Voxel. So that was the other major discovery of the jam. There's a open source program that lets you make voxel-based models really easily, and you can also import them into Unity really easily. So suddenly we had a way to actually make 3D graphics. I should have asked this earlier. What's a voxel? So a voxel is a volume pixel. Voxel-based art is the 3D analogue to pixel-based art. Anyhow, without going into too much detail about the development process, what was the gist of the game we were trying to make? So, in the end, we decided it's a puzzle game. You can kind of shake this house around. You have to get objects in the house into the right place. So, the idea we used for the prototype was you've got a bed and you have to get the bed like into the right place in the bedroom, and when it gets to the right place, it will just lock in place. And I think the idea that really sold it to us for the theme of what home means to you was the idea that everyone's house is different, so we can start out with houses that are relatively sensible, like, you know, everybody's house is probably going to have a bed, but then it can get more ridiculous, so... Sex dungeon. (laughs) We didn't quite go there, but it was kind of close. So, yeah, we talked about, oh, what if it was a Satanist house and there's just a pentagram on the ground or, like, full of skeletons? Or what if it's a crazy cat lady and, you know, home is wherever you have 15 cats? Or what if it's a hoarder and home is just, like, where there's all this trash? Like, we just talked about crazy houses. Like, what if this house has 15 toilets? What if this house has, you know... So, for the theme of what home means to you, it was starting out with normal people's homes but then just getting progressively weirder and weirder and weirder and so for the for the jam for the prototype we'd obviously just make a few levels 
but we tried to have some kind of progression into weirdness. I did take some progress videos as the game took shape. So I haven't uploaded them anywhere at the moment, but I'll probably try and cut them together into some sort of YouTube vid so you can kind of see how it went from extremely glitchy, complete polygon freakout to, hey, this looks like there might be something here, kind of really smooth and tight-feeling controls, to importing the voxel graphics to then the finished product. And our final trailer, I think it captures the game quite well, although maybe it's not clear what the object of the game actually is. We called the game Get Your House in Order, which I thought was kind of self-explanatory, but maybe it's a very British turn of phrase and it was lost on a lot of people. Still, people who played the game at the jam thought it was fun. And the trailer the trailer was reasonably well received, but it didn't get the laughs I was hoping it would, so I'm still proud of what we made. I think it's actually the best game we've actually managed to make at the game jam. Certainly the most coherent and complete. And I think it's got some potential. I actually think it it might be worth trying to do more on it, even if just as a mobile game, which is maybe a terrible indictment of mobile games. That is terrible. It deserves more than that. It deserves more than that. It does deserve better. I kind of feel like it with the zaniness of like Katamari, like I feel like there's something there. I can't quite tell what it is, but I think there might be some core to it that's worth exploring further that could be, you know, part of a bigger game. And, well, if we talk about indies later on, there is a game coming out in 2019 that I feel captures the same spirit of what I would actually want to kind of do. But we can talk about that a bit later. So this is Mike, editing the podcast in the future. I realised that I totally forgot to mention the game I was referring to in the next section. So the game is called What the Golf? It's a totally zany, not golf, physics nonsense game? I don't know how to describe it. It's definitely worth checking out the trailer, if only to be incredibly perplexed. And now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Woo! So that was our game. I was pretty happy with it. The other team, they called their game House of the Doge. Kind of like House of the Dead. Not that It's not the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> really? It's the first thing that came to my mind. The House of the Doge. They actually also managed to recruit an extra team member. So we had another friend from the Retro Games meetup who said they might come along, but they weren't very confident. And they said the only thing they could do was write dialogue or scenarios. And so for the RPG, it was like, this is perfect. We need someone to write dialogue and scenarios. So we convinced them to come along as well. So they managed to get a fourth member. And they managed to put together... Actually, a pretty good-looking pixel RPG. The graphics are awesome. I'm really impressed. I was really impressed by both 
the people doing art this year it was just incredible it, it just goes to show what happens if you actually get real artists on your team <laughs> made such a huge difference so they managed to get like the seed of their idea going but you know art takes a long time and so they only managed to do around three rooms of the game but you know you could see you could see the beginnings of it taking shape so sunday you saw all the other games what were they like oh yeah the showcase at the end what was particularly funny this year is that over 400 people showed up so it was the biggest year ever again like it's just growing every year and because there were so many teams presenting games like last year you could only show a one minute trailer of your game but unlike last year if you ran over that one minute there's a guy who just said time's up and they just cut you off they just stopped whatever you were doing so it was really brutal actually quite a lot of people were like mid-sentence explaining their game against you know the backdrop of the trailer and was just like time's up cut the mics next team on really harsh but then there were some people who were really rambling and it was like yeah totally time to hit the buzzer but as usual it was a really varied selection of games some of which were incredible some of which were even jankier than ours another funny thing were the recurring themes that showed up amongst the games I actually think that what home means to you was a really excellent theme for Global Game Jam because given that it's a global game jam, I can definitely imagine after seeing what the Hong Kong games were like that what home means to you is going to produce wildly different games for every country. So many of the games at the Hong Kong Jam were about homes being unaffordably expensive and the things you do to try and afford a home in Hong Kong. Or you having no space and no privacy and having to live with your family until you're like mid-30s and the things you want to do in the privacy of your own room but you have to be constantly aware of your family just barging in on you while you're cross-dressing or watching porn or walking around naked. It was just like there were literally like five different games where they had a character that was just like watching porn or picking their nose and like standing around with no pants on or you know just wearing their wife's clothes that one's a different problem altogether that's not a space problem (laughs) (laughs) well and then what's quite funny is the one in particular with cross-dressing if your wife catches you everyone was expecting it to be really judgmental but instead the wife's like oh it's okay you can wear my clothes. I still love you. You know, it's like, oh, it's so sweet. So yeah, recurring themes. A lot of the Hong Kong games had some element of that in them. Which just goes to show how real Hong Kongers feel about the housing situation in Hong Kong, which is famously bad. I think, does Hong Kong have the most expensive housing, like, anywhere in the world? Like, it's got the most unaffordable housing. It's got the biggest disparity between what people earn and what a flat will cost to buy or to rent. First or second, how bad is it in Singapore? Oh, Singapore's really cheap compared to Hong Kong. I mean, it's probably still expensive, but compared to Hong Kong, 
I know this because I did briefly consider moving to Singapore and I looked at what you could get for the same amount I was spending on rent here. And it was just like, I could get like a five bedroom house or something. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but you get the idea. So actual games then, to name a few, the one that just won all the awards, I think it was literally just called Home, but it may not have just been called Home. There may be some Chinese characters in there that I can't actually read. It was basically a game where they took the Chinese character for home and the Chinese character for home is composed of a number of different elements that themselves could be Chinese characters in their own right. So it kind of shows the character for home and then the subsection of the character that would, if it was on its own, read man, kind of breaks out and starts walking over this landscape. And you can grab other bits of the character for home, like, you know, chunks of the character and use them to kind of bolt onto your character to give it powers. So they showed a bit where there's like rocks in your way and you can grab a piece of the character and use it to like lift up the rocks or a piece where there's like a log floating on some water in a pit. But if you were to jump into the pit, you wouldn't be able to climb out the other side, but you can grab another part like the top part of the Chinese character and drop it in and that raises the water level such that you can walk over the top and they also tied it back to the meaning of each of the subsections of the character so like the tiny bit of the character you grab to solve that particular problem itself has a meaning that relates to the kind of problem it's trying to solve it was it was just really clever if you could read Chinese but they also very thoughtfully provided an English translation of what was going on in their trailer I mean, you could tell it was going to win. Like, when it came on, everyone in the crowd was just like going, ooh, <laughs> like, really, like, everyone was, yeah, they, they really stole the show. And there were prizes for, like, most potential. There was a prize for best use of Chinese culture. There was a prize for, well, the audience vote. And it, like, won all three of those. So... That one was probably the star of the show. Again, I'm not really sure if it's a complete game. So it felt like the one last year was in a similar situation where it was kind of like a snipper clips type game, but with letters. And it was like, is this really a finished game or is this kind of just like a demo that's hacked together, but you can't really play it and it's just a trailer. But I suppose you can argue, does that even really matter? I mean, you're never going to make a a really complex game in a game jam. I mean, maybe the best you can do is just make a tiny prototype with lots of hard coding to just get your idea across. And yeah, they did an excellent job of that. Other ones that I particularly made note of, there was one that had like a hardware element to it. So they had a Raspberry Pi and an an Arduino kind of like interface and they had a physical kind of arcade board with buttons on it and it was pretty much Mario Party with a family so there were four characters there was like a mum a dad a kid and a dog and it just kind of had party games but they all controlled by hitting these two buttons on this physical you know control deck that they built So that was pretty impressive. 
But they didn't build the deck in the jam, though. Well, maybe not, but they still made a game for, like, a physical, unique controller. I mean, that was cool. Fine. And then the other one that I personally particularly liked, it had quite an interesting and unexpected trailer, so it literally just showed clips from, like, Getty news images and, like, Reuters or something, like, news clips talking about how Hong Kong housing prices had broken a new record and they were even more unaffordable than they were before. And then the actual game had kind of really, like, lo-fi 8-bit music. Is it 8-bit? Is it even lower than 8-bit? I don't know. And kind of Spectrum-esque visuals. So I think it was called House Crash and buildings were just slamming down and you had to avoid being crushed by the house prices in Hong Kong. It just looked really cool. I just really liked like the aesthetic and the sound of it. So that was the other one I, I particularly liked the look of. There were loads of games. There were just like so many games. It was just like an assault on the sensors because it was like bang, 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 every minute, another trailer. And then every minute and five seconds, time's up. Bang, <laughs> next game. A successful jam though. Had great fun. Met new people possibly ongoing collaboration in the future. In fact, Max, the guy we met there who did the art for our game, he's actually making a game on his own, which is kind of like a roguelike... I don't even know how to describe it. You're like a little king who throws bombs. It looks really good. So I'll put a link to his Twitter in the show notes too. The Twitter that he uses to publish progress updates of the game so it's at regal pigeon one last thing you had some wisdom you wanted to share that you um do i (laughs) yeah what was it sperm oh no let's not talk about that (laughs) let's not bring it up (laughs) this is how tired we were This no. tired. <laughs> do, 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 you, do you really want me to bring this up? Let's, okay, things I did put it in the show notes. We were all really dedicated to actually getting our games made this year to the extent that I think all of us on both teams were literally up until past 3am on the Saturday night still working. We, we weren't actually staying at the site. We actually all went home and then just continued working and collaborating remotely. The next day on the Sunday, we were all just like completely wrecked and had the most bizarre conversations. So the only one I particularly remember, because someone actually said, make a note of this, say it on your podcast, was, and I quote, why would your body even have a place to make sperm? It's too hot. It's like, let's go outside, dog, (laughs) and testicles. (laughs) I don't know either. I much prefer that mic than this mic. <laughs> I didn't make it. wasn't Mike. <laughs> it wasn't uh, me. I didn't say that. Disappointed. I just thought it was hilarious.
So coming out of the 2018 wrap-up, we realized that we didn't mention indie games in sufficient detail or enough. I I want to say enough length, but that's not quite right. That's nonsense. Well, it was only when editing the 2018 wrap-up episode that I really noticed we just talked about really mainstream stuff. We just didn't really talk about any indie games. And it's just funny because I actually play quite a lot of indie games. And I still think indie games are a lot of the time much more interesting than like the really mainstream games because everyone's talking about mainstream games. Not to mention that I just had a complete mind blank and didn't even mention Slay the Spire. But how could I not mention Slay the Spire? Like... The only game I've played more of than Slay the Spire now is PUBG. At least according to Steam. I mean, goodness knows how much Minecraft I've played over the years. But yeah, Slay the Spire is over 100 hours now. By Slay the Spire, veteran Sanders, that's probably not very much. But it's a lot for me. Or Dead Cells. Dead Cells actually went 1.0 last year. And I played that all the way back when it was an early access and only had one boss. And I didn't play it since, so that's probably why I just didn't remember it at all. But still, Dead Cells came out properly last year and everyone was raving about how great it was. So, you know, I just missed out loads of indie games. And I just felt like, well, as I said earlier in Resolutions, one, I should play more indie games again. Because I think indie games are what really made me get excited about computer games again. So, I mean... When your game's going to cost $100 million to make, you can't afford to take too many risks because you need to recoup your investment. When your game is being made by one person in their bedroom, you can afford to make something totally ridiculous and you can afford to take risks and you can afford to be experimental and come up with genuinely new things. Well, you don't need like a million people to buy your game as well. Yeah, if even like 10 people buy your game, then maybe, you know, okay, a hundred, a thousand, come on. (laughs) Maybe that's a success. And so indie games are often just much more interesting than AAA games. So I just thought we should talk about them more. Well, and I should mention some of the ones I failed to mention, which I kind of already did. And I should mention some of the ones I'm looking forward to this year. And then. You very helpfully provided me a whole bunch of links and lists to indie games coming out this year. But I just immediately poo-pooed it and I was like, yeah, but are these games really indie games? What's an indie game? There was this whole thing a while back about like, oh, you know, I'm so indie or you're not really indie. I'm really indie or that studio is not an indie. Which, although it's a cliche, I do actually think is true. For example... On the list of indie games, there was In the Valley of the Gods, which is the new game from Campo Santo, the company that made Firewatch. But they've now been acquired by Valve. I mean, can you really be indie if you have Valve behind you? But then again, you know, what does it mean to be indie? If you're still making something very experimental, then maybe that's enough. Or I guess an indie game doesn't have to be an experimental game. It can just be a game in an underserved genre that 
a publisher is not willing to throw a AAA budget at because they don't think they'd recoup the investment. But a small team can certainly make it because the cost of them making the game will be much lower. So I think Wargroove is an example of that. It's kind of like Advanced Wars, but with medieval stuff. I wanted to make that game, but now this team's making it, so I don't have to. Even easier. Well, let's see if it's any good. Are there any that you're looking forward to? No. No, I don't think so. I think the problem is, I mean, the problem with the list itself is that these are games which have already building momentum. Are they really indie? They're sequels. Are they sequels? Yes, they're mostly sequels. I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. No, no, well, it's... I'm just saying what you told me. <laughs> yeah, I, I obviously agree with the sentiment. I think often when an indie game turns out to be incredible, it's not one that people are expecting. It does feel like if a game has made this list, it's because the dev is already famous and is like an auteur or it's the sequel to a game or it's got quite a big marketing budget behind it and maybe it's not really an indie. So I think often when a really incredible indie game comes out, it just comes out of nowhere or it's not known by a lot of people and then it just snowballs when you know, a popular Twitch streamer plays it or a YouTuber plays it and then everyone's like, I have to play this game. This game looks incredible. And for me, Slay the Spire was one of those games. I don't think Slay the Spire shows up on any indies to watch lists in 2017 or 2018, but it's an amazing game and it's just gone 1.0. So maybe, you know, maybe I can have it game of the year for myself for this year. Though other games have an entire year to uh, knock it out of my memory again. And you're ready to be surprised as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and play more stuff. And be less precious about it. And probably waste more money. I'm surprised you're not interested in moving out. Aren't you a massive Overcooked fan? And over and moving out is being already hyped as like the next Overcooked. I don't think I have people who care about Overcooked or moving out as much as I do. No one cares about local multiplayer like I do. But you three-starred every Overcooked level. Yeah, but it's hard to find the people who are committed enough. Did you just force your family to play with you when you were back on holiday? I didn't, but now it feels like I am. <laughs> okay, so all I've got to follow, all I've got to go on are indie studios with pedigree, or indie devs with pedigree. So her story, I don't remember what the... Sam Barlow. But what's his game called? Isn't he making a War Games kind of interactive TV show thing? But he's also making a game. Yeah, I forgot the name of the game already as well. Sorry. I feel we've got here. We have to look it up. Telling lies. So let's see what he does. Because I was thoroughly surprised. I was also thoroughly surprised by her story. I briefly entertained the idea of playing other FMV games. And then I came to my senses. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I did add one to my Steam wish list, but I never followed through on it. Which one? It's called Late Shift. It's actually on sale right now. In fact, now that I look at it again, is this basically Black Mirror Bandersnatch, but just done better? 
the other way around, this is better than Bandersnatch. Well, it's hard to judge because I haven't played this and you haven't watched Bandersnatch or played this. So <laughs> we're both coming from a position of total ignorance. I'm just judging on trailer here. I mean, from the trailer, it looks like a better version of Bandersnatch. What? <laughs> what? Don't get me wrong. I quite enjoyed Bandersnatch. <laughs> that just looks like a mistake. <laughs> a mistake? <laughs> if you buy it. You're going to find it in your inbox. I'm going to gift it to you as soon as you go home today. It's on sale. It's 40% off. There's a reason for that. So yeah, I'm sorry, be, guys. It's going to be the next book club game. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there you go. Like mobile games, FMV games. You know where I stand. Well, my final indie game that I wanted to mention and completely forgot about is Baba Is You. So, in games I'm looking forward to in 2019, Baba Is You. I can't remember where I first saw it. I think it was like the Indie Games blog or something, but it's a really clever looking puzzle game. It was actually meant to come out in 2018, but as these things do, it took longer to finish than expected. So, it should be sometime in 2019 now. Can you give us a bit more for those who aren't so enlightened? So, the key mechanic is kind of in the name, Baba is you. So everything in the game is kind of a triplet like that. X is Y. So when it says Baba is you, it means that you are Baba and there will be other triplets on the puzzle board. So it's a turn-based puzzle game. You can move one square at a time, but on the grid... There will be other things like flag is win, which means that when whoever you are touches the flag, you win the level or door is lock and key is open and stuff like that. Or lava is melt or, you know, there's like lots of triplets like that. And you can just solve puzzles in really weird and unexpected ways. So I think the example I saw, it said flag is win. Baba is you, wall is stop. And it appears that you can't get to the flag because there's a wall around it. But you can just push it. So it still says flag is win, but then it says wall is you. And now you're the wall and you just move the wall so it covers the flag and then you win. It just seemed like a really clever idea for a puzzle game. It actually came out of a game jam. So I, for some reason, am looking forward to that. Why not? So... Shall we finish with your favourite section? <laughs> I check my laser gun and I go pew pew pew! It's rapid fire! Okay, so let me share some things with you and then let's get some responses. So we had a development update on Metroid Prime 4. Shinya Takashi, development head at Nintendo issued a... It was basically like a 10-minute apology. I don't want to say apology. Was it an apology that was it? Did the word, the word sorry ever used? I must admit, I don't recall. But there was... A 10-minute explanation then. Yes. For why there's no Metroid Prime 4 trailer, or indeed any new news about Metroid Prime 4, other than this video explaining why there's no news. 
So the current state of the game wasn't living up to standards and they've decided to restart development at Retro Studios, who made the original Metroid Prime trilogy. Yes. It was a very long and sincere explanation that the development turned out to be harder than they expected and that the game they were making wasn't living up to their standards and they decided to seek out help from the team that originally made Metroid Prime to make something that lived up to fans' expectations. And your response to that? I think it's quite funny because my initial response was like, well, this is dis- this is a disgrace. I'm very disappointed, which is obviously why most people don't do this. But then, you know, 30 seconds later, it's like, obviously, I then applied some reason to the situation. And then I was thinking, well, good on them for doing this because you don't want to release a bad game. And you should be honest, if it's not working out, I think it's extremely brave and good of them to have had this transparency, which does seem to be the internet's general reaction to it too. This is turning out to be quite contagious. So for the Anthem demo, there was a statement released by Bioware being very transparent about their problems and not being vague at all. Well, I do think that some of their statement was also just to defend themselves because they said, people said we didn't provision enough servers, but we did provision enough servers, just unexpected things happened, as in the servers didn't respond the way we thought they would, or you know when we connected it to the like, back-end platform, like, it just didn't respond the way it was meant to. But they did provision plenty of servers. It's, you know, we weren't just negligent, etc. I don't know. I always think more detail is good. I prefer to know more. But I'm that kind of person. Yeah, and they just have to look better than Bungie right now. <laughs> I mean, it does sound like the kind of problems they were having were reminiscent of the problems Destiny had at launch. You actually played the demo, didn't you? Yes. Because I obviously didn't because I was at Global Game Jam. And how was it? Controlling your character is like controlling Iron Man. You have a suit, you can fly, you land in a very cool fashion. The world building is good, but I'm not sure about the combat. We'll see. I don't feel like the enemies are that smart, interesting, clever. People have said it's a wave-based arena shooter. Things can spawn behind you, and it's all very... Oh, it's all a bit of a, just a, a cluster. <laughs> what? The combat is just, it's... There's no... We'll see. I haven't played enough to know. I guess it's funny because Bungie was always famous, well, for Halo, which had, for the time, very good enemy AI, or at least enemy AI that felt very good to play against. You know, the enemies took cover and you had the sense that they had intelligence, mostly because they actually shouted out what they were doing. But it turns out people like that. And this isn't like that. Exactly. You've, you've, you've said everything that Anthem doesn't seem to have right now. And it's funny because obviously the obvious competition for Anthem is Destiny. The character's fun. The customization is fun. The landscapes look very interesting. There's a lot of verticality to them. You can go underwater and you can fly. 
Destiny doesn't have that. Are you going to buy it? I'll wait as long as I can. <laughs> well, you know my position on Anthem, which is that I'll be really surprised if it's really good. I'll be really surprised if it's good at all. Forget the really. But I'm possibly just too cynical and just burned out after Destiny. I think it just needs to get an 80. And that's enough for me. Really? Yeah. Because the other two are playing it. The other two? Yeah. These are your besties back in the UK? No, because you can't call Kevin. I'm not putting Kevin as... (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, please. I'm sorry, Kevin. But you understand. But there's matchmaking. So, actually, I I was quite happy there's matchmaking. And though, I mean, it was really dumb when we were working out one of the, how to unlock one of the doors, because we had to change the color of the symbol for three doors, and I was twiddling my thumbs, not knowing what to do. And we didn't want, I didn't want to start changing something while someone was changing something else, and there was no voice chat. But we got it, we did it. I was surprised. So there's still hope. I'm also going to wait. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to wait till the last possible minute. If all of you buy it and you're still playing it after a month, maybe I'll think about it. If it comes out and people say it's the most incredible game to have graced the earth since, I don't even know what. Combat isn't going to be hard to fix, though. Maybe it'll be good. I think maybe I'm just really jaded because of Destiny. So maybe if this is actually Destiny done right, but it sounds like it's, it sounds like if you took the combat from Destiny and everything else from this game and put it together, you'd actually have a really compelling package. Maybe we should be playing Warframe. Well, that's what everyone says. Anyway, let's keep it rapid and move on to exactly the same subject. So Bungie announced a split from Activision. Well, Bungie didn't. They both did. They were like, it's an amicable breakup. We have irreconcilable differences. So they had partnered together for eight years. But now Destiny is fully under the control of Bungie. A couple of things I want to ask you. Will Destiny benefit from this? You know, I'm really not sure. Because... I think a lot of people's instinct was that all the things they didn't like about Destiny were the fault of Activision. But I'm not sure it's really that cut and dried. I think a lot of the things people didn't like about Destiny were actually Bungie's choice. I mean, again, it's very hard to tell if that's really true or not. Or maybe it was Bungie's choice, but it was the lesser of two evils. Because, you know, if they hadn't made that choice... Activision would have made them do something even worse. But certainly the churning out of lackluster content and the microtransactions, it seemed that those were actually decisions by Bungie rather than Activision, at least if memory serves me correctly. But this is rapid fire, so no fact checking. So you've answered my second question, but I do have another item about Activision, but this time with Blizzard. Blizzard staff have been asked to reduce costs and produce more games. I mean, Blizzard, you know, Blizzard made a deal with the devil many years ago now. And to begin with, it was fine because, you know, they may have made a deal with the devil, but now they just all had Ferraris and everything else was cool. But slowly over time, 
they seem to be losing more and more of what made them Blizzard and becoming just another money-making machine. And the heart is very slowly, you know, bleeding out. So, I don't know. I mean, it's still, to be honest, it could be much worse. It sounds like they're doing things in a very empathic way or a way that at least doesn't get them any negative press they have this career crossroads program where you can basically get paid off just to leave yes so so they won't fire you but they really want you to go so please take this money and just walk out the door that would be amazing (laughs) i mean i say that it's probably amazing until you realize you can't get another job but these people who don't want to work for big organizations maybe maybe they want to break I just think it would be great. I mean, imagine if you... Well... It'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell where my mind's at. No, it's mostly been for their customer support staff previously, right? But now they're opening it up to QA and also their devs. Is that true? IT. IT. Oh, so I guess it's not their actual core dev team, but I guess the infrastructural keeping running of the computer systems. Because there are new spots opening. Yeah, they are hiring devs core devs to make the games i mean and i say devs but i don't just mean programmers i mean that that probably includes artists and sound designers and level designers and the whole gamut of what it takes to make a game that seems like a terrible idea kill the infrastructure just frustrate more devs frustrate more designers frustrate everyone else it's fine they can do it themselves i guess it is funny i mean if you think about how much people costs are versus hardware costs you think a laptop's expensive but how much does it cost to employ someone for a month maybe next time it's like oh my laptop's broken where's it to fix it they're just like throw out the window here's a new laptop maybe it's cheaper i should suggest this will work (laughs) my laptop's a bit tired can i have a new one i don't think this is gonna fly (laughs) but they can't hear it to the storm no they haven't they have. They wound it up. Well, they haven't wound up completely, but they wound up their esports. Yeah, for it. You know, they're doing the career crossroads on <laughs> on Heroes of the Storm. Yeah, you know, it's getting a visit from kindly Doctor Foot. I found that I haven't really been enjoying Blizzard games recently. Anyway, like, don't get me wrong, they're very highly polished. And they are fun to play, but there's just something essential, like, missing from them. There's just some... (laughs) They feel very safe, right? They feel like they've been focus grouped to death, and they feel... There's no edge to them anymore. There's no, like, soul of a particular designer who took a risk and said, no, we're going to do this... They're all just very, very bland, incredibly well executed, but just still boring games. You know, I'm I'm not excited by any Blizzard games anymore. I was really excited by Diablo 3, but then when I played it, at the end I just felt empty. It was like, what was this? And then I was really excited by StarCraft 2 and the expansion packs, but when I played them... I was just left feeling, what was the point? It was just such a derivative, pointless story. Anyway, there you go. I've gone off Blizzard, you can tell. (laughs) 
it'll be interesting to hear what you think of RDR2 when you come to play it properly. Well, that's an interesting statement. Yeah. I guess I better get cracking on that. Rapidify over. I don't know. The clip's <laughs> empty. That should never happen. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. You can find us on Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On Twitch. And YouTube as Lost Levels Club. Where else? Anywhere else? Reddit slash r slash Lost Levels Club. Facebook. Don't go to the Facebook. The Facebook's just so we can run Facebook ads. Tell your friends about the podcast and then we won't have to run Facebook ads. Please save us from this hellhole. <laughs> Stop, yeah. Stop us from giving Facebook more money. <laughs> so, Michael, what are you grateful for today? Today? Specifically today? It can be any time. Well, I was looking forward to going skiing. But not today. <laughs> but I'm not going skiing today. You, you can look forward to it today. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, right. Today, today I'm looking forward to going skiing. No, you know what? Let's be specific. Today, I'm grateful that we ate a pesto and chicken pizza. It was surprisingly nice. That was an unexpected surprise. Delicious. So Michael says bye. Bye-bye.